Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Let's see. Here's where I want to start. I know that everybody, of course, has been bringing up October 4th, my, myself included, even October 11th, the FEMA's backup date, so to speak. But I just kind of want to pump the brakes on the whole thing real quick and just remind people about and basically just kind of revert back to the Substack article that I wrote a couple of weeks back. I would encourage people again to not panic at all. Just be vigilant and pay attention. And I think that really is the middle way. You know, there are individuals who have no idea what's going on. Uh, I've had some family members communicate with other family members about it, and they had no idea what was what was happening with October 4th. No, I hadn't heard about that. I mean, there's a lot of people that just don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, what any of this is. They don't even know that there's an alert happening. I mean, they clearly don't even understand the bigger picture, potentially, but they certainly don't understand that even something as simple as a phone alert is, uh, is, is common knowledge among a great deal of people. They just aren't paying attention to those kinds of things. And as we know, those are the kinds of people that are easily taken advantage of because they have no idea what's going on. So there are, first of all, you know, a number of schools that have emailed their staff members and said, look, this is going to happen. It's going to last for about 30 minutes. You know, you can turn your phones off. You can do this. You can do that, whatever. <clears throat> Excuse me again. We know fully that school environments are loaded with 5G and electromagnetic radiation by themselves. Again, this is, of course, going to hit radios, TVs, and cell phones. And we know those 5G towers, again, are on the roofs of schools, and they're in the parking lots, and they're all around it, on the athletic fields, you name it. So I think that, uh, you know, w whether you send your children to school or not, th that's clearly your call. I wouldn't be sending them to a public school for a variety of reasons, let alone something like this. We also know, again, the capacity of these schools to panic. And... Uh, and we know the capacity, frankly, of the people working within these buildings to not even know that something like this is happening, even if they've received an email. So again, I, I would basically say this, and I'm not going to summarize it quite yet because I have a few points about this that I want to bring up, which is why I'm talking about it right here at the top. I think the middle way on all approaches like this is the best way. That's my take. You know, if, if we're looking at an entire spectrum, you have individuals on one side panicking, flipping out, you know, we're all going to die, what's going to happen? And then on the other end, you have the brainwashed individuals who have no idea that this is even happening. And then you have all of the notches working their way into the center of that spectrum. And there are a variety of different people who sit in a variety of those different notches. Let me give you a couple examples. In the last episode of The Five Docs with uh, Dr. Kerry Madej and Dr. Larry Pilevsky, Kerry Madej didn't bring it up at the beginning of the show when she was hosting by herself, and then Pilevsky rather jumps in, and he ultimately starts talking about it. Kerry Madej's response to Pilevsky talking about it I thought was an interesting one. She basically said, I really don't care. Who cares? It's not that big a deal. I don't care. In my opinion, that shows a lack of awareness with what's going on and what the enemy has planned. Pilevsky fully understands that these individuals tell people what they're going to do before they do it because that's part of their 
as part of their approach. They they do it as sort of a, a mocking kind of tactic. You know, that we're going to do this, we have it planned, uh, this is exactly what we're going to do, we're going to leave out any nefarious aspects of it, but we're going to do this and there's nothing you can do to stop it, so whatever. And then, as you might expect, those very individuals and the media outlets that they partner with, who of course work for nefarious reasons without a doubt against us, they put out all their hit pieces against people like us who ask questions. So I don't think that the approach that Kerry Madej takes is necessarily a good one. It shows a lack of knowledge on the larger topic, but that's odd because, again, she knows about this. She knows about electromagnetic radiation. She knows about, excuse me, things of that nature, and that shouldn't surprise her. So to not be alerted about it, or at the very least vigilant about it, I I think is a little short-sighted. Larry Pilevsky seems to know more about it and be more vocal about it. My point is, is that there's a middle way, which is don't panic again, but at the exact same time, be aware and be vigilant about, about what is going on. So let me just provide a few tips because again, I've, I've provided a number of tips I know over the last few weeks, but, uh, I've heard a lot of different takes on a lot of different things, and even listeners of the show have emailed me and people have commented to me on Gab about a couple of things too. First of all, let me start with this. The Faraday cage stuff, okay? There's a lot of of takes out there regarding Faraday cages. I've heard people on both sides of, of this particular subject contradict one another consistently, and it specifically has to do with microwaves. That if you put your wireless devices inside of a microwave, that your microwave is a Faraday cage, and that that will protect them from receiving any kind of a signal. The way you test that, of course, if you're curious, is you leave a cell phone turned on, and you leave the ringer turned up and turned on, and then you call that cell phone number from another cell phone. If it goes off and it rings, well, then the frequency is working its way through the microwave which would render your microwave useless or something like that. Uh, You know, the same goes for tinfoil, but I'll get into the tinfoil thing in a second. Again, I've heard people say that the microwave works, and then I've heard people say that the microwave doesn't. Based on my background, if somebody says that it works and somebody says that that it doesn't, then you can either test it to figure out if it works or it doesn't. But if people are saying that it does and it doesn't, You need to test it from the angle that it doesn't work. So you can make the assumption that it doesn't work, but then, like I said, you can can test it easily by making a phone call. By putting a cell phone in a microwave, unplugging it from the wall, or even plugging it in the wall, and then make a phone call and see if it rings. If it rings, like I said, then the signal is going through. Now, tinfoil. I've heard a couple of different takes on this, too, that you can wrap your wireless devices in tinfoil, One particular individual, and I put this video on Gab, the guy says you can actually, um, you basically take heavy-duty tinfoil, like what you would buy at a grocery store, you crumple it up into a ball, and then you pull it out so that it's wrinkled. And then you wrap it around a cell phone, for example, and uh, and you can test to see if that stops the signal by, again, making a phone call to it. If it rings and and the signal goes through, then he said add more tinfoil. 
And then I've had individuals reach out and they've said, don't put tinfoil directly on your device, but put it, put your device in a shoebox and then close the shoebox and then wrap the shoebox in tinfoil. So that again, there's no breaks in the tinfoil and things of that nature. Again, all of these things can be tested and tried. Anybody can do this. I haven't tested these yet, um, but I certainly will. And again, it's it's just an idea. You can also, of course, get into the notifications section of an iPhone, click on notifications and scroll all the way to the bottom and turn off all of the alerts and all the emergency alerts and XYZ that you possibly can. Is that going to stop a signal going through really from a FEMA alert? I'm not sure, but it's worth trying. All of this stuff is worth trying. I want to kick it up a notch now to other things that I've heard. And I have no reason to doubt it because, again, I haven't looked into it myself. And I have no reason, again, to, to think that it isn't real. Um, Dev Tavares was talking about how newer AC units and air conditioning units, both in buildings, schools, and, and home units for single-family homes and apartment buildings, townhouses, whatever, that those newer units are 5G capable, that they, too, emit electromagnetic radiation. Well, of course they would because they're a giant appliance and they're plugged in. So my tip is, is that if you have access to yours, wherever you live, that you turn it off and you can throw the switch on it on the outside of, of wherever you live. It's on the outside of your home. Uh, there's usually a, a panel. Again, you flip it up and, and you turn it off. Uh, you're not really unplugging it from the wall, but you're unplugging it closer to the actual source, so to speak, by just turning it off. I personally recommend doing the same thing for AC units during the uh, during the winter months, because again, if these devices certainly give off electromagnetic radiation, which they do, but if they give off any kind of a 5G signal or retain a 5G signal from somewhere, then why would you need it turned on during the winter months when it's cold outside and you're not using it anyway? So just turn off your AC unit during the cold during the cold spells. And then when it gets warm again in the springtime, turn it back on at the actual source. You'll probably also save uh, you know, a little bit of power. Because again, you chew up power when you have appliances plugged in that you're not using anyway. So there's that also. Certainly unplug your televisions. Printers are the same thing. A lot of printers are wireless, uh, and they're listening in on us and doing all that fun stuff, so unplug your printers as well. Same thing, I, I think, with, of course, your, your wireless internet, any routers, things of that nature, unplug them. And then, again, if you want to do this too, I, I recommend it. Just throw the breaker to your entire house. Throw the breaker off, uh, you know, 30 minutes before, and, and then leave it off for at least a couple hours after on, uh, on Wednesday you know, around two o'clock or so, just kill it and, uh, and leave it off, read a book and, you know, go do whatever else you want to do. But that's, you know, th that's just kind of my two cents. Again, we, we know that they've been putting up a number of different things and by things, I mean, 5g devices all over the place, certainly ones that are, uh, you know, 20 feet, 18 feet, 16 feet tall. I saw another video that was sent my way by our Michigan business owner friend that shows an, an individual recording how there's one that's attached to a stop sign, and it looks like it's also attached to one of those 5G streetlight kind of things, but it looks like there's a horn on the end. 
almost like, again, it's going to be pushing out some kind of either sound or, or something. Um, paying attention to those, I think, is certainly an interesting thing. Uh, cutting them down would be even better. But we know that those kinds of towers, those green towers with the box at the top, again, that are about 20 feet tall, we know that those are there on purpose, that those are not for faster internet speed or cell phone connectivity. It has to do, again, with emitting a low-level frequency, or a not a low-level frequency, but a localized 5G electromagnetic radiation hit on the people that are around it certainly within close quarters or heavily populated areas. So that's a constant thing. But again, my overall take here is basically don't panic because again, to sort of go back to the substack, what, what needs to be observed during this time is a lot of, of course, the behaviors. And, and we've noticed that here over the last few weeks. Again, I brought up the FEMA th- alert uh, a day or so after it came out, and I was telling people about it back then. Uh, of course, more people have jumped on board, and, and endless people, of course, have given long-range presentations on the whole thing, and uh, those are all worth listening to. But I think in the end, just paying attention to any deviation from the current standard when it comes to illness is remarkably important. Because that's something that we're going to both be hearing about and physically witnessing. There will be, again, perhaps more sick people. So if you want to visualize it, uh, you know, drive around your local hospital. Pay attention to see what the waiting room looks like if you can see the waiting room through, through the window. How full is the parking lot? Things of that nature. Again, your, your places of employment. Are people calling in sick now? after October 4th or after October 11th. And I really don't think that it's necessarily going to be a deviation from the standard set of illnesses that's going to be lasting months per se. I think that we're going to see in a a, sort of a, a, uh, what would I call it, a quicker hit or a a more observable uh, focal point days, if not just a few weeks after these alerts go out. I mean, that, that kind of leads me to this one particular article, which I'll, I'll reference a little bit later when I talk more about the jab stuff. But it's, it, you know, since 2020, basically, and this has been charted out, the excess deaths and the excess illnesses have occurred between the months of October and then the following April. So that's when the vast majority of these illnesses and quote-unquote sudden deaths have been taking place. That's been going on since 2020. Now, yeah, there was a giant spike from January, of course, to April in 2021. And then that next October to April of 2022, again, a giant spike. Why? Well, it's shot-induced, as we know. And I don't think that it's an accident that this FEMA alert is going out on October 4th and then October 11th, so to speak. Because again, it certainly falls in line with what's been charted and, and the trend that's been taking place. And that, of course, is a, is a three-year-long trend that, that we've seen and that has been calculated. So that's basically just kind of where I come out on this. 
staying away from all shots and as many pharmaceutical drugs as humanly possible is it should go without saying at this point. Unfortunately, there again are, are individuals on the spectrum who have no idea what's going on, and they're just going to keep lining up for it. And well, we know what's going to happen to those people. But it's it's a move like this, and it's a dimension of thought like this around an event like this that that should cause people to be vigilant, not panic. Uh, you know, not get worried about anything. Just be vigilant and control what you can control. And in that control of what you can control, you're going to find some calm. So, yeah, October 4th may come and go as, as, as no big deal. I just think it's going to be the days and the weeks after where people are going to start to notice something. So, again, different ways of paying attention to that, as I said earlier. Pay attention to illnesses in the workplace, people reporting illnesses. You know, the individuals that you know are jabbed doing the same, uh, more absences, you know, whatever it may be. But I think those are the things worth paying attention to going forward here. So, yeah, that's my two cents on it. But I don't, uh, you know, I'm not panicked at all. There's things that we can control, of course, and that's good enough because there really isn't a whole lot else we can do other than, of course, take a bulldozer. And buckets of gasoline and, you know, shoot the hell and and blow the hell out of these 5G towers. But we know what happens if we start doing that. I mean, they're going to arrest us. And it's got nothing to do with uh, us not, you know, trying to protect ourselves and our fellow citizens. Again, you bring this information to a city council, they'll, they'll look at you like you're a crazy person. And that's already happened. Endless people have already brought this very subject to city councils and told them, I mean, myself included, I did it over email, but I've warned these people. They're on the record as being warned, which means now if they don't heed the warning, well, and they start to get sick and they start to, you know, they start to die off as a result of leaving these 5G towers up or people start dropping dead in the general vicinity or circumference of these, uh, of these 5G towers, well, then just keep telling them that you told them so. Just keep reminding them. Over email, I told you so. You're not paying attention. Who else is dead now? I see that another one of you has dropped. I told you so. And you just keep you just keep saying it and you just keep doing it. Maybe they'll wake up, maybe they won't. It's not necessarily for us to decide. So I wanted to throw that out there too. I also saw this. Again, I, I don't um I don't listen to Cliff High anymore on Substack. He was putting out, you know, just a ton of a ton of audio, and then he'd get into space aliens, and that's when I just he I just check out. I just turn it off the moment he starts talking about space aliens because I can't take that crap. But uh, I did watch his video on BitChute most recently. Again, you know, he's haphazardly sort of talking about the same subject, and he knows that a lot of people have brought it up. But um, you know, he's, he has some interesting takes on things and an interesting opinion, to say the least. But there was also this, and I'm just saying this sort of a, as, as basically a, a historic reference. It was always referenced that the, um, uh, that the emergency broadcast system, and I put this Q post, by the way, in the last substack, so you can go over there and, and read it, but it's always been theorized that the EBS system was going to be used 
as an alert for people to stay indoors and stay in their houses while the military makes particular arrests of particular people. And Cliff High brought this up and said that one of his friends brought up this this possible scenario as, as being something that, of course, had been brought up in the past. And it's true. I mean, that is that is a theory that has been brought up in the past. And it was one that got a lot of us excited way back when. I want to say, uh, hell, 2017 is, I think, when that Q post was dated, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 2018, one of the two. Either way, during that time, a lot of people were saying, well, this would be one hell of a way to do it. Again, whether you were faking there being some kind of an emergency, or again, it were used as sort of like a soft martial law where everybody just kind of stays in place. And then, you know, the good guys go round up the bad guys. And then, uh, you know, basically a message gets transmitted over our devices and over the TV and the radio that that's exactly what's happening. That, of course, you would think if it were to happen that way would induce a little bit of panic and cause people to hit the streets, certainly in the cities, and there would be a few uh, a few riots and, and burning of things. Of course, it wouldn't be predominantly white people doing that, as we know, but even so, the, the whack job liberals, regardless of race, would be out there doing whatever they want, and same thing with culture. But, um, you know, th- that was always a plausible scenario, and then, of course, he goes, Cliff High goes through the math about it, and he says, I don't think they can arrest that many people in a two-hour period. <laughs> it was actually kind of funny. And I thought, yeah, I don't think he can either. Um, I, I, I have no doubt that bad people have been taken down throughout this time and, uh, and have been arrested and sent to Gitmo. I, I'm certain that that's going on. I just don't know if it's going to happen during this October. So, yeah. That, again, that kind of stretches into you know, the whole talk about what's going to happen in 2024. And you've heard me say, we've never been here before. We've never been in a position like this before. And I, and I really do feel like the bad guys' plans are always being pushed to the forefront because they're being forced to play these hands when they don't want to play them. See, they wanted to play all of this EBS stuff and all of these FEMA alerts and all this shot taking. They wanted to stretch this out. Over the course of time here, certainly over the perceived 16 years, so to speak, um, you know, the 16-year takedown of, of America or whatever it was, it, it was said it would be, but um, they, they've just been sped up. Their plans have been sped up, and I just think that whatever happens, of course, between now and, and next year is, is going to be interesting. I think 2024 is going to be jacked up. I mean, this year's been jacked up. Let's not kid ourselves. But and every previous year too. <laughs> but it's just uh, it, it's going to be interesting going forward. And you know, saying saying things like, "Well, I, I'm not panicked, and I, and I don't care, and uh, you know, it doesn't matter to me." So you know, we all got to die anyway. I mean, so, somebody to take that aspect and just sit on that without being vigilant and being aware. I think is a bit short-sighted. My point is, is there's a middle way. We get to we get to not be panicked, but we also get to be vigilant, and we get to apply the scientific method and use rational thought, and uh, take educated guesses and a number of other things, and arrive at certain hypotheses or make hypotheses and then arrive at conclusions. And you know, we get to do that. That's what a critical thinker does. Somebody who's not critically thinking is attending a football game 
getting loaded and, and uh, you know, painting their chest in one of the letters of their favorite teams. I mean, that person's not going to make it. And let's face it, are we really going to miss that person? <laughs> I mean, I know it's, I know it's, uh, you know, a little cold-blooded, but we're not really going to miss the face painters at football games, are we? So, yeah. Either way, you know, that's just kind of my take on, on the October, October 4th stuff. You know, I'm going to do my best to stay away from as many 5G towers as possible. Fortunately, I live kind of out on the outskirts of town next to cornfields, and there really aren't any around here. The closest one to me is next to the old folks' home, ironically enough. And uh, they're getting hit with a 5G all the time, which is remarkably unfortunate, but that's not an accident. It's not an accident that they put 5G towers at the old folks' home and on schools and, uh, you know, around apartment buildings and, you know, of course, doctor's offices and hospitals and things of that nature. It's all a giant on purpose. The old invisible enemy, as it were. So there you go. That's my take. I'll mention this too, and it kind of leads right into a few other geopolitical things that I want to bring up. But I did want to mention this just again from a school standpoint and education standpoint that, you know, if you've pulled anything from this show, I hope that you understand that the the enemy that, that exists here wants children dead and that they do want kids to be ill. And that's always their goal because they hate children. Um, they hate their innocence and that's why they try to corrupt them with the propaganda and the college environment and, you know, all the YouTube stuff and all, and all that garbage. Um, they want them to be hurt and they want them dead. This is why they did put 5G towers around schools. Again, it has nothing to do with cell phone availability or um, internet accessibility or anything like that. They want children dead and they want children sick. So I hope you've learned that in listening to this show for quite some time because that's their plan. But I'll elaborate just a little bit on that a little bit later, maybe. Um, I certainly have one particular story to bring up that that I think has has a great deal to do with that, and it has a great deal to do with keeping minors uninformed about the world that that uh, that we live in. And it's a story actually that's ramping up more frequently here, certainly in Europe and even in Canada, and it's not an accident. So anyway, I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, let me mention this very quickly. Just sort of some geopolitical things here. Uh, Justin Trudeau, again, he's moving to regulate podcasts as much as he can. And then he and his government are attempting to analyze you know, as many um, factual content providers and, and alternative media outlets as possible. And then, of course, do whatever they have to do to, to censor those. Th- this right here, again is the enemy at play. They know what they're doing, and they also know exactly what to do in order to attack these individuals like myself who you know, say the things that I say and do the things that I do and then try to get the messages out to a number of different people. I, of course, am not alone in this regard. Lots of people have been in this position and still are. Uh, one of them, and I'm just going to mention one of these tactics, uh, so I'm not really advertising for this, of course, but unfortunately, one of them, as far as the bad guys are, are concerned, is they will team up in large groups of people 
and then they will specifically go after a particular podcast or a show or a site, uh, you know, on a video streaming platform or whatever it may be. And of course, all the podcasting platforms, and they'll all at the same time or over the course of a couple of days, they will all report a complaint about a particular show. Now, that should be suspicious because, first of all, all of these platforms have some kind of a report you know, a report button, like report something that's not appropriate or report something that's not true or report something that's this, report something that, you know, that, that, uh, that basically the listener or the viewer doesn't like. So basically they'll engage in a Bolshevik tactic of all bombarding a particular person's page by hitting the report button and then falsifying some kind of a complaint. Now, again, you would think that that would be suspicious given the fact that that doesn't happen very frequently, certainly for many channels, but I'm just mentioning that because that's one of the tactics that they'll use. So I don't know what'll happen with this show going forward. I'm not sure. I just kind of keep doing what I'm doing and pray for the best. But either way, that's one of the tactics that, that they engage in in order to get certain shows kicked off of certain platforms. Um, of course, they can pull the plug on any show anytime they want, theoretically, but either way, this, uh, you know, th this move from Canada right here is is just kind of a a perfect example of of what the enemy has in store and and how they're not taking their foot off the the pedal here. They know what they're doing. And again, knowing what we know about old Justin Castro up there in in Canada, we also fully understand that he's in line with the WEF and the WHO, and he's one of their boy toys. And he'll play ball no matter what. Um, with that said. We also, of course, have, have heard about and theorized about internet shutdowns completely as a whole. It's quite possible that might happen here in the next, you know, year. I mean, it's, it's highly possible. That's been theorized for a very, very long time. So just worth bringing up, I think, once more, because it seems like this right here, this censorship step is just, an, again, another one of those moves. But that's just my two cents on that. Okay. There's also this, um, I, again, I was talking a little bit about the Cleveland, uh, Cleveland area, Akron area abduction in Ohio of a thousand, a thousand plus minors, that a thousand plus minors have disappeared uh, more so than in past years. Well, there's this news release as of October 2nd from the Attorney General uh, Dave, Dave Yost's office. It says the following here. Uh, today, uh, he announced the success of a week-long statewide human trafficking crackdown titled Operation Buyer's Remorse, which sought to arrest those trying to buy sex and identify survivors of human trafficking. Um, it says law enforcement across Ohio teamed up in concerted effort to stem the demand that fuels human trafficking, Yo said. He said the success of the operation is measured not only by the number of arrests, but also the resources offered to survivors of human trafficking and the intelligence gathered that will propel long-term investigations forward. This took place around Columbus, Cleveland, Toledo, Akron, Youngstown, Marietta, and Portsmouth. So basically kind of right up and down the center of Ohio and then the armpits, as we call it, of Ohio, Toledo, and Cleveland. Um, yeah, 160 arrests. 
involving stings, uh, let's see, conducted by OOCIC's Eight Human Trafficking and Major Crimes Task Force, so on and so on and so on. So lots of operation highlights. They list all the names, ages, and locations of these people, varying ages, varying ethnicities, varying races. It's basically everybody, as you could possibly imagine, all involved in this. And again, you know, how many of them are politicians? That's my question. <laughs> when is, you know, when are we going to see Governor Mike DeWine's name on this list? You can't have ties to to a Haiti school and, uh, you know, ha- have people just walk around thinking that that's normal. Uh, either way, that happened, and I just wanted to bring that to your attention. So I'm glad that people allegedly got arrested and are hopefully going to be hung by the neck until dead, although they won't. They'll be imprisoned, and God knows for how long, but either way, that that certainly happened. I also want to mention this. This didn't get a ton of play nor a ton of attention. Rather suspicious, to say the least. Probably a targeted hit. Seven out of ten plane crashes, according to Q posts, are all targeted hits. Um, This is from the Daily Mail. North Dakota State Senator Doug Larson, his wife and two children are killed in Utah plane crash. It says he and his wife Amy and their two young children were killed in a single-engine plane crash on Sunday near, uh, let's see, Canyon Islands Airfield. It says the family were visiting relatives in Scottsdale and had stopped to refuel in Utah. The cause of the crash has not been determined and is under investigation. Um, as it turns out, this Doug Larson guy was vocal about the shots and the pharmaceutical industry and what the shots were doing to people and how the shots were killing people. Here's a quick little one and a half minute piece of audio of him speaking in the chambers of uh, North Dakota's government. And he's briefly telling a quick story of a friend of his who passed away from what was seemingly the shots. So give this a listen in three, two, one. Last night I had the, the pleasure of sitting down with a friend of mine um, who had about a, about a year ago had died. Um, I'd never had a chance to uh, sit down with somebody that had been dead before. And uh, I found it interesting when he explained that what it was like to wake up in the hospital after being dead. And the doctor coming up and shaking his hand and saying, you are the first person that I've ever gotten to shake the hand of that had suffered from uh, cardiac death, instant cardiac death. Um, Not arrest, but death. They spoke for a moment and and he said, "I I have one question for you. He'd asked him if he'd ever been vaccinated, specifically to the COVID piece. It was an interesting conversation to have. Um, A year prior to that happening, he had told me that he had no sympathy for the unvaccinated. Talked about that last night, and he said, I've always reserved the right to change my mind. So uh, I think it's a good study. One of the last things, and it, again, has it even been an endless Q posts, one, one of which I read in the last, in the last episode, but the last thing that the enemy wants is an awake populace. They don't want people who are awake, and they certainly don't want people who reserve the right to change their mind. 
They maybe thought that one thing was real and then they found out that it wasn't. And then the person starts getting vocal about how that thing isn't real or maybe even more nefarious than previously thought. Well, that's not what the enemy wants. And so, again, keep in mind that approximately 7 out of 10 plane crashes or helicopter crashes are all hit jobs. You know, you can take it back to Kobe Bryant. You can take it back to Dale Earnhardt Jr. You know, he and his wife went down and their child went down in a plane right after takeoff. That was at an interesting time, too, if memory serves. A lot of people, again, starting to question what was going on with government during that particular time. Q drops were still dropping, if memory serves. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, he didn't talk about it after it had happened. They survived, clearly. But uh, there may or may not have been an investigation. I'm sure there was because there always has to be. But either way, they use it as a distraction also. It's both as a as a threatening tactic to other individuals who are talking about a particular subject, but it's also used to distract individuals and say, oh, isn't that sad that that happened from that famous person that we all know? So, yeah, very unfortunate for, he, for both he and his family, but he was, he, was waking up to the, he was waking up to the jabs and the pharmaceutical industry, and, uh, and there you go. So... We all have a target on our back to some extent, but if you're in the public eye like this and you're a politician and you're starting to wake up and you're starting to, again, tell more people about what's going on and sharing even personal stories, that's where it's really going to start hitting home and that's where the enemy is going to do whatever they have to do to shut you up. So don't, don't let it keep people quiet, basically. Just speak louder, yell it louder, and just keep doing that. Um, let me see here. I was just shown this. Let me let me just kind of backtrack very quickly to what I was saying earlier about schools and the October 4th FEMA alert. Like I said, there's emails going out to some districts, and then I'm, I'm sure some districts are clueless, although it is trending on Twitter right now with, again, a lot of people saying you're going to turn into a zombie and it's going to turn the jabbed into zombies. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that it very well could make the jabbed more sick. Because again, remember, uh, they they do state in the Department of Defense paperwork, they and I believe even in Pfizer's paperwork, they refer to the shots and what the individuals who received the shots they refer to it as a payload. So, it's a weapon. There's no doubt about that. But this is coming from a particular school district. Uh, this was over on Truth Social. It doesn't say what school district. It's it's blocked out. I'm not sure why. But it says, good afternoon. It says on Wednesday, October 4th, 2023, at approximately 2.20 to 2.50 p.m., there will be a FEMA nationwide test for the wireless emergency system. It says, at this specific time, a unique tone and sequence of vibrations will be sent out to all cell phones. Says more information can be found at the following link, and then it's the FEMA link, and then it says, I apologize in advance for any interruptions. This causes your classes. Sincerely, so and so, whoever the superintendent is. Again, I'd keep my I would keep my kids home from school that particular day. That's just me. Uh I wouldn't send them like you, like I've said before for a thousand reasons, but certainly when it comes to just the reactionary mood of of basically the entire environment i i wouldn't i wouldn't send them and if you work there you know take a sick day that's all 
take a sick day if you can. Don't go. But it looks like more and more of the emails are, are making their making the rounds and uh, and working their way around the internet. So, in fact, I I just came across this. I mean, the, the information again. You know, God bless the internet. This right here is again going to lead into an education story I have in just a second. But, um, this right here again is the information age. You know, as soon as we start asking a particular question or talking about something, we get more updates. So that email that I just read from their superintendent was from the, uh, let's see, the Wani Community Schools, which is based in Napanee, Indiana. And it was put out by their superintendent by the name of Scott D. Croner, if I'm saying that right. So there you go. Either way, you know, it's it's making the rounds either through emails or text messages or whatever, but uh, people are becoming alerted to it now, and, and that's a good thing. I just wish that more people would ask questions as to why, which again is is a question that the critical thinkers have have cl- clearly asked rather, uh, you know, over the last number of weeks. Even again, Todd Callender said it. He said, "Well, why in the hell would uh, w- would they even be doing this? I mean, if you're, if they're not doing it for nefarious reasons, then then why are they doing it? What what good purpose could it possibly have? And I and I don't think that there is a good purpose, but Again, I'm not alone in that regard, but that's my take. Okay, let me mention this. Again, this is this is pretty cool. I think certainly a good connection of of resources. Uh, our favorite California lawyer, AJ Gochik, was at a dinner with Renette Sunum the other day, and I may have mentioned that in the previous episode briefly, but I, I just kind of want to run through this text thread that he sent me, and uh, he sent some pictures of the two of them hanging out and having a good time it looks like let me let me mention this i asked him how the dinner went and he said it was good he said she was very easy to approach i thanked her and told her to keep going she agreed and i also also told her how much i like the kazarian mafia comment which i'm assuming she mentioned uh during during her speech there at that dinner but uh and then of course that she points out that gold's uh, Israel or Israel connections certainly exist, and he said that Renette was caught off guard initially, but thanked me for that. Uh, he said he took photos with her and that he forwarded them to me, and so it's real. Uh, anyway, he said I also met a based Hollywood actor named Issa Morales. I hope I'm saying his first name right, and frankly, you'd recognize the guy if, if you look him up. Uh, very good actor, been in a lot of stuff. But he said that uh, he used to be a liberal, but he became a Trump supporter and an anti-vaccine. And he also mentioned the MK Ultra program and Satanists in Hollywood, including child sacrifice. He was in Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise and almost got fired for not wearing a mask. He considers himself a strong Christian and said that God gave him his DNA and that he won't allow anyone to mess with God's creation. He won't get top roles because he speaks out. And it's uh, AJ said that he thinks that he was canceled from Ozark, that television show. I think it was on uh, Netflix, if I'm not mistaken, or HBO, one of the two, uh, for opening his mouth on the wrong side of controversial topics. He went on to say on Hollywood satanic ritual ceremonies that might even involve child torture or sacrifice. What Esai said 
was most actors are not Satanists, but they may attend these ceremonies to gain roles and connections in Hollywood. But make no mistake, Hollywood is filled with both MK Ultra programmed and many Satanists with some obvious overlap. Uh, let's see. He also sent this. He said, uh, this was just texted last week from a friend of his. He said, I don't think he sent this to me. And they said, quote, I just learned some crazy stuff about my early childhood. It seems that my biological father, when he was at Harvard Business School, was actually a part of a secret society. And I was used in torture ceremony, in a torture ceremony, when I was one and a half. He said that this was a follow-up message to the above. Quote, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm happy that you do not remember it. And then they said, quote, I know a man named Mickey, a former street preacher in St. Louis, uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, O-B-I-S-P-O, Obispo, uh, who went through a similar experience as a child at the hands of his two aunts. He was of the Davidic line, which was why they chose him. I think these rituals are more common than most people realize. I said, yeah, certainly amazing. I told him I'd bring it up for the show. Uh, he also sent me this, and this is interesting. He said that a friend of his uh, sent him a bunch of old magazines, the old Saturday Evening Post and Life magazines from the 1960s, and he started to go through them. And they are predictive programming and propaganda like you would not believe. I put up two pictures that AJ sent me up on Gab, and it's incredible. So here's what he said. He said, uh, he said I started reading the articles, and it's really mind-blowing how these publications were out in front of the culture wars 60 years ago pushing Marxism and socialism. One cover story article I read was on sex education in schools, and the group most responsible for spreading it in schools called Seek Us. S-E-I-C-U-S, was headed up by former members of Planned Parenthood who believe sex ed should start at age three. There are other articles that I'm going to read with titles like Privacy, Who Needs It? Women at Work, Why the Boss is Unfair, A Priest Speaks Out Against Catholic Ritual, and Do You Really Want a Family Doctor? 1964 article, he said, and A 50-Year War Against Anti-Semitism was another title. He said he'd send me some of the summaries and some of the articles. Again, it is, uh, it's bizarre. One of the covers here from the Saturday Evening Post, dated June 29th of 1968, has Julie Andrews at the top. It says just Julie Andrews in a new movie, Star. Or Julie Andrews star in a new movie. Not sure which or what order there. Uh, the angry candidate Wallace. And then a priest sp- speaks out against uh, Catholic ritual. But the cover story is the truth about sex education. And then in the next one he sent, it's white children bathing a black baby inside of basically a little a tub of some kind. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's beyond odd, without a doubt. But, the, I mean, again, the programming has been in our culture for a very, very long time. 
He said, look at the bottom photo from the kindergarten class in Palo Alto bathing a black baby. One kid yells out, he has a penis, quote unquote. Um, And then he, of course, said, look at the cover at the top. They hit all the talking points on the cover of that particular issue. And we went back and forth and said, yeah, you know, the, the old Jews have been at it for a long time, have they not? They've been at the predictive programming and the mind manipulation for a very long time. So there you go. Okay, two education stories here, rather specifically. First of all, the Flint, Michigan violence case of that black student throwing the chair at the school teacher. Um, as I predicted, although fortunately <laughs> the student has been charged with at least two felonies and one other individual also, I think the person recording it has, has been, uh, has been charged with, with some kind of a crime also, or someone else involved, but either way that did happen, which is good. It's, uh, it's a bit shocking. I think that that happened. That wasn't my prediction. My prediction, however, did come true when it came to the actions of the actual teacher themselves. So where do you think the teacher is now? You guessed it, the teacher is back in the classroom, back doing their job. And the school district came out rather quickly and said uh, that they commend the teacher for their actions and their, their strong will, and this shows the commitment that teachers have to the well-being of students and the commitment to their job, and they know that it's remarkably important, and they have a role to play in the well-being of blah, blah, blah. Again, you know, I even said it on Gab, they, uh, they've clearly not been hit in the head hard enough yet, or maybe they have been hit too hard in order to actually want to return to that environment. Now, I've been in a similar situation. I was never attacked physically by a student. Uh, There were students who wanted to attack me physically, and I sort of was looking forward to the opportunity where that would take place because, well, you know, they would have had coming what they were going to have coming. But either way, I have a little experience in this particular regard when it comes to the quick moves that administrators will make when a violent incident occurs. So let me tell my quick example from many, many, many years ago, and then I'll, I'll bring up again sort of the quick action of this Flint school board, or not the school board, but certainly the building administrators. And I'm sure a few district officials were involved as well, like HR and maybe the uh, investigator for the district. Either way, Back when I was teaching school, and I told this story a long time ago, but I had a particular student who would make physical contact with me. He was a large male black student. He would make physical contact with me on purpose, just basically to get a rise out of me and and to see what I would do. He did it twice. I told him to stop the first time. I told him to stop the second time. And then he started to do it again. And it was just like he'd bump his shoulder into me. You know, that was about it. And it wasn't hard or anything, but he would just kind of brush past me and he knew that he was making contact with me. So I consistently told him, stop making contact with me. And then the third time he started to do it, I I dodged him and I went, I told you, now we get to kick this up a notch. And I went and got the female resource officer who was a friend of mine at the time. And, uh, and she pulled him aside and she let him have it. I mean, leaned into him. I'm going to arrest you 
if you ever make contact with Mr. Brooks or anybody else ever again. I'm going to arrest you. And then what happened was, is the resource, he never touched me again, but the resource officer went to the administration. And they made mention of this to the administration. And I kid you not, and this happened as, I mean, it happened lightning fast. One of the assistant principals of the building found me in the building, and we were teaching in FEMA trailers at the time. But he, he came in and he found me wherever I was. I think I was maybe like walking down the hallway or something. And, uh, and he said, Hey, you got a minute? And I went, yeah. He goes, uh, and here's how he said it, which was jacked up. He looked at me and he goes, and this, by the way, was a nice lesson as to how these people operate and how there's always more going on behind the scenes and how public image is the only thing that they give a damn about protecting. But he looked at me and he said, Hey, uh, he goes, you're not, uh, you're not gonna, you're not gonna press charges against him or anything, are you? And he, I mean, he said it just like that. And I thought to myself, I can press charges against this guy. I mean, I can press charges against this student for, for, you know, assault and making physical contact with me. I mean, I I thought that was pretty cool because the answer was, is yeah, I certainly wanted to. Why? I mean, why not? Um, But at the time I I, I just found his reaction to that rather interesting because clearly he wanted to sweep it under the rug. Now he got suspended. Um, and then, like I said, he never touched me after that, but, uh, you know, it's just very clear that administrators in particular in the Flint, Michigan case, they always want to brush things under the rug and sweep it under the rug. Rather, they always want to downplay something that's remarkably serious. And, uh, who knows? I mean, if I was to continue to take some guesses here, some educated guesses as to what happened with this Flint, Michigan teacher, I wouldn't be surprised if she got herself a little raise. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe she got some medical, her medical bills paid. I wouldn't be surprised if she got a little check under the table for a little bit of a bonus. Because again, the last thing that the school district wants is to be in the public eye doing the wrong thing. And they certainly don't want to get sued by a school teacher for not keeping the school teacher safe or the environment safe. They don't want that. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to immediately approach the school teacher, pull them into an office, ask them if they're okay. I mean, I'll even take it this far. If this, uh, if this particular individual went to the hospital, which they did, wouldn't surprise me if school officials showed up at the hospital next to her bedside and convinced her to not press charges and told her what they would do for her, like pay her medical bills and a thousand other things, just to again sort of make the whole thing go away. I guarantee that something like that happened. I I, I would be 95% certain. And so it happens. It's like, you know, lawyers being ambulance chasers to some extent. I mean, the same kind of thing happens in school districts. And I just want people to understand that. Again, they operate like the mob. They operate like the mafia would operate. They always want to keep things at a particular temperature and they don't want things to get out of control because for at least a week or at least certainly three days, the Flint, Michigan school district was on notice from a public standpoint and everybody saw what was going on. So understand that that happens. That is, uh, that is the, uh, uh, that's basically the tactics of organized crime. And that's the American K-12 public school system, public, private, or charter. Doesn't matter which.
They all tend to operate exactly the same. So there you go. Okay. Now there's this, and I alluded to this earlier. It has to do with cell phones and it has to do with schools. This is continuing to take place. This is continuing to be a big deal and not for the reasons that the enemy would have you believe. Um, this is from The Guardian and it is titled, Put Learners First, quote unquote, UNESCO, which is of course the UN, calls for a global ban on smartphones in schools. It says major UN report issues warning over excessive use with one in four countries already banning the devices. The analysis says that it's a distraction and bullying are key concerns. And another uh, quote here says, I would crank up the restrictions, unquote, teachers on banning phones in schools. Now, I've brought this story up before. But it's, it's, it's making the rounds even more because Germany is involved in this, the UK is involved in this, Canada is involved in this. Basically, anybody playing the UN game is involved in this. That's not really why they're getting rid of cell phones in schools and why they want to. It's not really about phones being a quote-unquote distraction. Are they? Of course. They always have been. But you have to keep something in mind, too, and the timing of this matters. And again, I've spoken about this before, but it always deserves a revisit. I was in the classroom within my last, I'd say, semester of teaching when the building where I was working, the high school, went from not having cell phones and not allowing them to all of the sudden allowing them. And when they, when they became allowed, the reason was because they were writing way too many referrals for, again, them being distractive devices and they're always on their phones and maybe they're cheating on tests and whatever else. Either way, the school system across the entire United States took a, an approach of if we can't beat them, we'll join them. Well, we can't beat the society and we can't beat the culture. So what we're going to do is, is we're just going to allow them, and then all of our discipline numbers will drop, our referral numbers will drop, and then that's the way that we will manage this. This again, ladies and gentlemen, should prove to people that the American K-12 school system is reactionary, not proactive. They will wear t-shirts that say, I'm proactive, and yet they do the exact opposite and behave in the exact opposite way. They are as reactive as reactive gets. Again, they didn't even know about the FEMA stuff, for God's sakes. Uh, look how they operated in 2020 with the mask wearing and the fake pandemic. I could go on and on and on. They are as reactionary as you could imagine. They are the tool of global government, and they always have been. Now, they're backtracking on all of this, and why? Is it because they're really distractions? No. It's because too many students, as you've heard me say, are learning the truth about the world we live in in the palm of their hand, not from the person at the front of the classroom. Because the person at the front of the classroom is arguably the most brainwashed and brain-dead person that exists. They can look at their cell phone, they can get on Gab, Telegram, BitChute, Rumble, TikTok, you name it, and they can find the truth about endless subjects, which again, does beg the question, why in the hell does anybody send their child to an American school? 
The truth is out there. The truth exists. They can look up this information anytime they want. The school system, i.e. global government, does not want children doing that. They don't want them knowing the truth. So by banning the cell phones, you're destroying a massive capability for interconnectivity, number one, between and among peers. And number two, you're, you're taking away their ability to look up factual information in the face of a lie. That's censorship, among a thousand other things. That's the real reason they want cell phones gone now. They're having to backtrack on the, on the battlefield of this war that we are in because they think that they're going to somehow make up ground if they just backtrack a little bit from one of their previous policies. They're not going to win. They aren't going to keep the cell phones out of these kids' hands. Now, one of the very difficult things, as you might expect, is I would, I would argue that, frankly, uh, the hardest place to be right now is an awake K-12 student. Because if you're wide awake and you've got these devices at your disposal and, and you're not screwing around on Instagram and Facebook and all that garbage, but you're actually learning and using social media and the right platforms, again, like Gab and Telegram and BitChute and Rumble, to actually figure out what the truth is, that awake K-12 student is, is going to be in a tough position because they're between a rock and a hard place if it comes to their dead-asleep educators and their dead-asleep parents. If their parents are dead-asleep and their educators, so to speak, or indoctrinators are dead-asleep, which we know that they are, that student is, is really going to have a tough time. Because ultimately, of those two entities, you would hope that the student would go home to the parents and say, hey, look, we're not learning the truth on this subject in this classroom because I've got it right here on my cell phone as to what really went on during that particular time in history or regarding that particular subject in science. So here, mom and dad, or maybe just one parent these days, t take a look at uh, you know, what, what this says about this particular subject. Why are you sending me back to this school environment that's teaching the opposite of this? This is the truth, but the textbooks and the things that we're doing in this building over here are saying something completely different, and they can't both be right. That child is going to have a hard time, in particular if no one is listening to that child. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I personally think that is one of the major contributors to the mental and emotional decline of K-12 students is the awake student who doesn't live in the matrix anymore, and albeit there's probably few of them, but they are out there, and, and they're just stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to the adults in their lives. So that's the real reason why certainly the European Union and the UN and uh, these government agencies and these global agencies want the cell phones removed from schools. It's because the truth is getting out there, and they know that, and they can't stand it. They're trying to do whatever they have to do to squash it as much as humanly possible. All the more reason to leave. All the more reason to homeschool if you can. If they can read and write, they can teach themselves. They don't need to be in those environments. And it's not an accident, and it should be a rather telling indicator, I would think, that if they are, and by they I mean countries, if countries are outlawing homeschooling or fining people for, for homeschooling, well, 
then there's your answer. There's your real answer. And therein lies, of course, the real problem. So if the entire environment, again, is crushing down on your ability to speak freely, investigate freely, and a thousand other things to find the truth, then that's the environment you have got to get out of. That's the environment that you have to leave. Again, I'm going to keep beating that dead horse because it's just too important. So there you go. All right. Jab-related stuff. I have a number of things here. First of all, this actually happened. If you actually thought that awards of any kind mattered, they of course don't. I've brought up the business of of awards in the past. It's always to uh, normalize illegality or criminality or justify it and then keep bad people around while squashing the good people. This is from the BBC, and here it is. Nobel Prize goes to scientists behind mRNA COVID vaccine. Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine has been awarded to a pair of scientists who developed the technology that led to the mRNA COVID vaccines. Professors Caitlin, I'm sorry, Caitlin Carrico and Drew Weissman will share the prize. The technology was experimental before the pandemic, but has now been given to millions of people around the world to protect them against serious COVID-19. The same mRNA technology is now being researched for other diseases, including cancer. Thank you, Robert Malone. You continue to be a piece of trash, and nobody likes you. Uh, There you go. I could go on with the article, but I just don't care. These people are the worst, and I hope to live long enough to watch them hang by the neck until dead. Okay. With that said, there's this too. Jabbed or unjabbed? Let's play that game. The old jabbed or unjabbed. Sisley sent this my way. Former Red Sox knuckleball pitcher Tim Wakefield dies at 57. Uh, He died of brain cancer at the age of 57, and his wife has pancreatic cancer also. So, jabbed or unjabbed? I, I don't know. I remember watching Tim Wakefield pitch. Uh, He was good. Wicked knuckleball. My brother could throw a knuckleball. My brother was also a uh, Boston Red Sox fan. And I remember watching Tim Wakefield pitch even when Aaron Boone hit that dinger off of him in the the pennant series all those years ago. I was a senior in college, if memory serves. And um, I remember thinking the knuckleball is a dangerous one. You'll either fool people or that ball will just hang there like a meatball and you can just rip it right out of the park. And sure enough, that's what happened there. But either way, uh, Tim Wakefield passed away, brain cancer, and his wife also apparently has pancreatic cancer. So, jabbed or unjabbed, I'll let you decide. Now there's this, and the irony here is thick also. This is actually from Fox News. It is titled, COVID vaccine poll finds more than half of adults are likely to say no thanks to the vax. This was on October 1st. It says, meanwhile, 70% of Democrats say that they'll get the new vaccine the survey found. Good for them. Keep taking it, Democrats. Rumor has it that uh, the most uh, recent COVID jab is the most effective of them all. It's the most effective. 
not effective for the reasons that some may think, but, uh, you know, it's effective nonetheless. Uh, Fox News, the same company, the same media outlet that pushed the jabs about as hard as you possibly could is now airing or it's certainly reporting on a survey where most people don't want to take it. Well, why would that be? Why would that be? There has to be a reason. It says among U.S. adults, 52% say that they will probably or definitely not get the COVID-19 vaccine. It's a bioweapon. The Kaiser Family Foundation COVID-19 vaccine monitor poll says. Conversely, 23% of adults definitely plan to get the vaccine, while another 23% will probably get it. Among the people who said that they definitely or probably will get the new shot, most are Democrats or at least 65 years old, the poll found. Now, let's play another game. The old cause and effect game. The EBS system goes out on the 4th and the 11th. People get sick. I'm just running a scenario here, so just bear with me. People get sick. The unjabbed, or I should say the jabbed, but not the jabbed with the latest versions of the bioweapon yet, okay, regardless of political affiliation, these individuals will start to hear about their families, their family members, or uh, maybe even individuals in their immediate household, or maybe even coworkers starting to get sick. They will literally think to themselves, The reason that they're getting sick is because maybe they didn't take the shots, the most recent shots. Maybe I should go get those shots now because I don't want to get sick and they're all sick, so I need to protect them and myself, so maybe I should go get the shots. And then they will. And then what will happen? We know what will happen, but they, of course, don't. But that is really their train of thought. That is an actual train of thought among people. Blows me away. It says 70% of Democrats plan to get the new vaccine, it says. That's compared to just 24% of Republicans. The survey, which was conducted between September 6th and September 13th, polled 1,296 U.S. adults via online and telephone polls. The Kaiser Foundation is a self-described independent source for health policy, research, polling, and journalism. Yes, I'm sure you are. It continues here with a few more percentages. It says when it comes to other illnesses, including measles, mumps, and rubella, none of which really exists, uh, most adults, 68%, and parents, 55%, support vaccines for healthy children. Oh, well, if they're healthy, why, why why are they taking any vaccination? Why are they taking a poison if they're healthy? It's the only time in human history where it can't get more obvious that vaccines are poison and that if you're healthy and you take a poison, you're going to get sick and that you aren't supposed to actually take anything if you're healthy. Anything from a doctor you certainly should not take if you're healthy. Can't believe that people haven't connected these dots yet. It says, however, 43% of parents and 31% of adults believe that the vaccination of kids should be left up to parents. No kidding. I'm shocked that uh, the percentages aren't higher. Well, they're always up to parents. I mean, let's face it. Uh, You know, parents of minors have the legal responsibility to decide one way or another. 
And as I've said before, you can opt out of almost, not all, because it depends on the state, but you can opt out of almost all school-related mandatory vaccines, quote-unquote. Here's Dr. Mark Siegel, this piece of trash, who also pushed the jabs. Uh, He says, of course, the vaccine doesn't prevent spread. Well, isn't that interesting? Why were you pushing it so hard then? He also, by the way, wanted people to wear a pin on their chest that says that they weren't vaccinated. I'll never forget that. He said it on Tucker Carlson's show when Tucker was on Fox News. Dr. Mark Siegel, ladies and gentlemen, he actually suggested that the unjabbed wear a pin on their lapel that says, I'm, I'm not vaccinated, ergo, ergo, stay away from me, because I'm the one who could get you ill. These people disgust me. Um, yeah, it just goes on and on. More pictures of people taking jabs, and okay, that's about that. Then there's this, which I wanted to mention also. This is uh, this is another Substack, the news from underground by Mark Crispin Miller. A nice little summary here of again what's been going on with the jabbed over the course of time, and certainly since October of 2020. Uh, but it says the following here, and I just want to read through this rather quickly. Again, it's, an, it's a nice summary when it comes to the illness rate and certainly the death rate as well. It says at the top of this article, which is titled, How We've Been Tracking the Reports of People Dying Suddenly, quote-unquote, and What Our Numbers Show. It says a breakdown of our methodology with some history of that obituary phrase and a glance at how the media has been deployed to normalize this ongoing catastrophe. Now, you know where this is going, because I've brought it up here a million times. Uh, He even mentions the lie of long COVID, which is great. I'm glad that more and more people are, are speaking out about that. But it says the following here. It says, from Charlotte Purvis, quote, Do you have the feeling that reports of dying suddenly have multiplied dramatically these past few years and that the numbers keep up, uh, keep on rather growing week by week? If you have that feeling, it's not just you because the uptick in reports of people dying suddenly, quote unquote, and their ever growing number are facts beyond dispute. Analysis of long term trends across the news online confirms that there has been a spike in such reports these past three years. The number of people, I'm sorry, the number of reports of people dying suddenly, quote unquote, rose from an average of 4,346 items per month in late 2020 to an average of 5,517 in 2021, 7,287 in 2022, and from January to August this year, there have been an average 7,910 news items each month citing this phrase alone. That's a marked rate change, a 22% rise in average volumes late 2020 into 2021, and a 37% rise between 21 and 22. The dotted line indicates the upward trend over time. Now again, let me describe this, uh, this line graph here. And again, this is one of those line graphs where if you took the death toll, okay, from all COVID jabs and you and you superimposed it right on top of this particular graph, they would line up perfectly. So you have a 22% increase 
from late 2020 into 2021. Like I said earlier, from August to April, this is where we're seeing the largest upticks, specifically with the died suddenly headlines in articles. And of course, it's an upward trend that should go without saying. But the same thing happened from October of 2021 to April of 2022, a dramatic increase. And then the same from October 2022 to April of 2023, an even higher increase than previously. So what do you think it's going to be now? In fact, in January, let me see if I can get this right. Yeah. Uh, approximately December of 2022, it has the highest uptick of online news articles citing the phrase died suddenly at approximately just over 14,000 online news articles. Again, (laughs) it's, it's undeniable. This is undeniable. Undeniable. It says it's important to explore the broad recent historical context across a large body of data. Before we delve further into the trends, we see from our own research and cataloging of student, I'm sorry, of sudden unexplained deaths, which have been posted here on news from underground since early 2022. This trend visible across online news over the past three years reflects content across 173 countries from some of the world's biggest global news sites. Uh, MSN, Yahoo, Daily Mail, and The Sun are among the most prolific sources of content featuring this term. In fact, 6% of references came from the top global news sites ranked by web, web traffic as listed recently by the Press Gazette. I'm going to keep going here very briefly, just a few more paragraphs. It says, as reports of people dying suddenly, quote unquote, have multiplied dramatically worldwide, the media has tried to play that increase down, either by ignoring it completely or by noting certain evidence of excess deaths in some country and or ethnographic group by attributing the rise to something other than the one and only thing most likely to have caused it. Thus, we've read that all those sudden deaths, quote-unquote, are due to, for example, stress, obesity, hot weather, i.e. climate change, heartbreak syndrome, referees' whistles. Remember that one? That ref whistles were dangerous. Uh, Suggesting that the cause of those athletes dying suddenly. It also highlights that pizza was one of the causes also that eating too much pizza could cause you to die suddenly certainly of heart disease it says and then of course drugs alcohol too much exercise and last but not least quote unquote long covid it says both those tactics blacking out the spike in sudden deaths or quietly explaining it away are meant to normalize this ongoing catastrophe so that people will forget it and move on Those tactics have been quite effective, appealing strongly as they do to our wishful thinking, and this horror isn't really happening, or that this horror isn't really happening, or if it is, it causes, its causes are innocuous and easily addressed. In order to see through this push to normalize the utterly abnormal, we need to put that key obituary phrase died suddenly along with the synonymous died unexpectedly in its proper historical context. 
and it goes on and on and on. But I'll, I'll stop it there. It's actually a rather long article. And they highlight, again, more charts and more headlines and things of that nature. But you get it. The cover-up is here. The cover-up is in play. It's not new. Something that's been going on for a very long time, and it's still going to be, it's, I mean, that's still going to be the case. I might add, too, and I'm going to shift subjects here away from the jabs real quick, but we're still, of course, in the propaganda realm. Um, all of the talk, of course, the continued talk of the 15-minute cities and what that all means and trying to normalize that with particular buzzwords and make it sound like it's all convenient and everything else. I saw a map the other day that had Cincinnati, Ohio as being one of the top 15 15-minute cities uh, in the United States or candidates to be a 15-minute city. We also know that, of course, this has been a giant push in Europe uh, and certainly within the UK, which is why they're cutting down all of those cameras the EULAs, or whatever they're called, uh, you know, ripping all of those down with, with regularity, which is fantastic. Because again, they were seeking to tax individuals for a variety of different reasons. But I came across this four and a half minute audio. I want to play, play it here real quick. This is from UK Column. And these are some based individuals. But their website here, I think, is ukcolumn.org, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they're on Twitter and Facebook, at UK Column. But give this a listen here again, and it has a little bit to do with 15-minute cities and what they're up against and what they're doing to handle it. So give this a listen in three, two, one. Uh, today, we're having a little bit of a focus on the environment. It's very clear that uh, the false agenda of climate change is being used to drive a huge number of policies, and those policies in turn are having a great effect on people's lives. So uh, in today's news, we're going to have a look at some of the ways that this works, and uh, hopefully this will give our audience the opportunity to um, get into their own research and uh, make up their own opinions on exactly what's happening. But, uh, Debbie, we're going to kick off with yourself and intelligent cities, which, of course, is a strong theme, uh, links into global cities. Uh, but we've also touched on this subject with uh, correspondent Mark Anderson. Over to you. Yes, good afternoon, everyone. And, um, of course, language is, is so important, isn't it? And thanks to people like Sandy, we've all become quite familiar with the term smart cities. But uh, have a check out of Intelligent Cities because we also have the Intelligent Cities Challenge that's come straight from the European Commission. Now, this is an EU initiative and it, it's, it's basically looking at green deals, cutting edge technologies, um, social resilience. But what does that actually mean? So when you go and look at the European Intelligence Challenge 2023 to 2025, you can see who's actually been selected. So I've just done a couple of screenshots for everybody that's watching that's in Europe. The next couple of screenshots may include your city. So we're looking at 64 core cities throughout 17 EU countries. Is your country listed here? Some of the ones that you will be familiar with, obviously, are Cork, Galway, Ibiza, Benidorm, Nicosia, Corfu. And here's some more on the next slide as well, just in case this is one of your cities. So we've got Tripoli, Valonga in Portugal. But not to be outdone, uh, the UK is fast catching up. So the UK Gov uh, launched just this month 
smart tech to be trialled in towns and cities. This is going to be launched with £4 million of funding to boost local connectivity. Uh, This is basically street lamps um, and all singing, all dancing street lamps that are going to be able to charge your EVs. They're going to be able to boost your wireless connectivity. And of course, they're going to be able to track you and trace you. So let's have a look at an article from Computer Weekly that talks about the UK towns and cities gaining funding to trial this smart connectivity. And we really are looking at multi-purpose. Oh, I call them spies on pillars, actually. It seems to be lampposts on pillars. So let's have a look and see where this is going to be piloted in the UK. And you can see there that if you're living in the authorities, Cambridgeshire County Council, Tees Valley Combined Authority, Royal Borough of Kingston-upon-Thames, Westminster City Council, Oxfordshire County Council and North Ayrshire Council, you are going to be getting this system very soon rolled out. So all of these smart lampposts that can pretty much track you and trace you and a spies. And just to end the intelligence city section here, a couple of uh, slides on a city you may not have heard of. This is Telosa, and this is going to be creating a new city in America. Now, this is a proposed utopia from a chap called Mark Law. He's a US billionaire. Uh, he's the former Walmart president. Telosa in Greek, by the way, means purpose. And you can see there from that slide that we're looking at uh, the population as being one million in the next five years, but jumping up to 40 million. So these smart cities are being proposed everywhere. In the middle of that slide, the tower that you could see was the Equitism Tower, which is meant to be the beacon of light. Well, Debbie, thank you very much for that. Well, your city or your new city with all of that wonderful or maybe not so wonderful architecture reminded me of Neom in the uh, Middle East, if you haven't seen the UK um, uh, discussion on that, have a look on the UK column website. But this is the linear city, which is supposedly going to be the place to live if it's ever built. It's a nightmare. It's a living nightmare. These places that are doing this, they either, again, they either know what they're doing and they're doing it for very nefarious reasons, or they are simply in positions of power and they're just going along to get along because they want to maintain their position of power. We're talking about mayors, city council members, city managers, you name it, infrastructure councils, whatever it is. And, And frankly, I mean, it's regardless of the country. This is happening all over the place. It's all over the place. And if you showed up to these meetings and you told these people what this really was all about, mass surveillance, a prison-like mentality within a small area, and uh, ultimately controlling them by using their biometric information, facial recognition like what's going on in China and a thousand other things, they would would have no... They would have have no room to stand. They would have no frame of reference. They would have no idea what you were talking about. Not a clue. They'd say, "Oh no, this is a great idea." You know, uh, it's uh, for sustainable energy and blah blah blah. They would come up with all the buzzwords that they have in their stupid dictionary, and uh, and they would utilize all of those dumb catchphrases that you could possibly imagine. I mean, again, you know, the, well, I'll add this too. It's a contract based thing too. I mean, these mayors and city councils and city managers approve these contracts. So even if you voted them out, 
you would have a very difficult time voiding a contract unless you could void the contract bringing proof to bear that you knew that this was being used for very unhealthy, nefarious reasons. But if you even attempted to do that, you would probably face legal action against the, the very companies that are on the other end of that contract. I'm taking a guess there, but why wouldn't that be the case? They want these places to be 15-minute cities, and the vast majority of us don't because we know what it means. It's just a small localized prison. That's essentially it, but certainly for the people who live in those areas. But they, they want nothing to do with it. So, I don't know. This is a tough nut to crack, but people have to get more vocal in the United States about these 15-minute cities and what they actually mean. Again, m- m- most of these individuals who work for you know, these cities, again, whether they be elected officials or not, they're just going to go along with it because they don't know any better. They're interested in a position of influence and power, not in a position to protect us from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And again, they just assume that if a contract is involved, then it must be for good reasons. And if it's bringing something, quote unquote, new to their city, then it must be for a good reason. That's never the case. It's just not. So there you go. I wanted to mention this too. Um, and in fact, I'll, I'll just wrap up with this. This is rather interesting. This again is, uh, uh, sort of comes full circle here. This is AJ's, this is AJ Gochik's summary of a couple of those Saturday evening post articles. And it really is jacked up. It ties right in, I think, to the 15 minute city thing too, oddly enough. So here we go. He, he gave a couple of, uh, A couple of updates here. He said the following quote. He said, Sean, I read the article, The Right to Privacy is a Myth, quote unquote. The Saturday Evening Post, July 27th, 1968. It was written by an Austrian Jew psychiatrist named Bruno Bettelheim. It says the article hits the Marxist themes of abolishing private property and class structures, supporting communal living, sexual curiosity for young children, ending traditional crime control in cities, excusing degenerate behavior like peeping toms, and the early promotion of 15-minute cities. He says, here's the summary of the article. Quote, Author starts off describing how his own children value privacy less and do not seem to need it as they study best with the door open and the record player going full blast and how his children need to emphasize communal- communality rather, as they work. He goes on and says, The radical change to privacy began in the form of the medieval house or castles, and then, in more modern times, a luxury view could afford, with parents and children having their own separate bedrooms. But as long as all the bodily functions, including sex and elimination, were more or less public, no great shame was attached to them. Only as they became more and more relegated to a private room did we learn to feel shame at our bodies and bodily functions. The tragedy is that alienation from one's own body can lead to alienation from others. And others, I'm sorry, and once we no longer feel comfortable with others, we crave still more privacy. 
This wish for privacy is closely connected with the increased value placed on privacy on private property. My home is my castle, quote unquote. The more class structure a society becomes, the more privacy do its privileged members demand. But a society which tries to do away with class structure should also try to do away with privacy and demand that ever larger areas of life should be public. No. No, 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 no. See, you can see where the normalization of insanity comes to play here. This is awful. This is awful. And people again read this and believed it. Oh, it's terrible. Continues, it says, quote, or he said the following here. He said, witness the absence of crime, delinquency, and other antisocial behavior in the Israeli uh, agricultural communal settlements, the kibitzim. If I'm saying that right. They have no police because there is no need for policing. This is because everyone there lives much more collectively and openly than we do here. The kibitz is an incredibly successful control of antisocial behavior in this society. The solution to our fear of the streets of modern city life may have nothing to do with the size of our police forces within them. What we need is a return to small, more self-contained communities where a great deal of what is now private can become public, where we can, I'm sorry, where we would share more and know much more about each other. Yes, unfortunately, that is, that's, that's the case now, is it not? Everybody flaunts their degeneracy everywhere. It says, the author is confronted daily with the suffering of emotionally disturbed children raised in great privacy from others and from themselves. As a result, they become desperately fearful and ashamed of relations with others and any familiarity with their bodies. Our model of privacy is founded on repression. Ah, these people are the worst. Oh, they're the worst. It says, quote, the peeping Tom, quote unquote, is so afraid and confused about his own body and emotions that he is driven to find out how others manage. We need a healthier balance of what should be respected as private in our lives and what belongs to our more or less public and communal life. He then said this and sent me a picture of the, uh, of the cover here. And it said, quote, I read another article, Women at Work. Is there room at the top? Question mark. The Saturday Evening Post. July 27th, 1968, written by Marilyn Mercer. The article hits Marxist themes of gender inequality, exploitation, family restructuring, and psychological biases. Here we go. Here's the destruction of the nuclear family right here, ladies and gentlemen. It's right here. Women don't need to be mothers. Uh, it says, quote, articles begin noting, article rather, begins noting, how while half of American women are working, they earn much less than men doing the same work and find it difficult to advance their careers. There are two kinds of men. One, the traditional male who believes a woman's place is in the home. Mm -hmm. And two, the newer male who is scared to compete against women. And of course, men can't accept working for women. Nah, that's interesting. That's, of course, not it. It's not that we can't accept working for them. It's just that, uh, you know, 
many of them just don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to say it. <clears throat> I kid, of course. Plenty of them are very good at what they do and, you know, cool out. But some of them are just whack jobs, aren't they? Anyway, uh, it goes on. And he said, quote, even the recent passage of Title Nine, I'm sorry, Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act, I can read, uh, which makes job discrimination for reasons of sex illegal, women are taking a back seat in the working world. Attitudes of society make it acceptable for men to work long hours and travel for the company, be away from home sometimes weeks at a time, but women are discouraged from doing so. For women, who are able to advance in their careers, life in the corporate structure is as absorbing and rewarding as it is to their male counterparts. They tend to take little time off for childbearing. A new feminist movement led by the National Organization for Women, now, is taking place. The group, formed in 1966, has grown to 2,000 members by 1968 and is headed by Betty Frieden. Hmm, every single time. According to Frieden, uh, social roles have cheated women of fulfillment, and women must have the chance to develop their fullest potential. Ah, uh, yes, potential. Working in a cubicle, staring at a computer all day long. Congratulations. Now's, it says, NOWs, NOW's objectives range from eliminating job discrimination, establishing daycare centers for working mothers, and changing the abortion laws. There you go. Another notes uh, that if women are to be fully integrated into the working world, a lot of changes will need to take place, such as government-sponsored daycare centers, time off for raising children with no loss of seniority, and tax credits for mothers who hire replacements. Girls are going to grow up thinking work is normal is the normal thing for women. The pill is revolutionizing all sorts of things. Uh, boys are growing up differently these days too. They are now accustomed to working with them in classes and organizations. A lot of their mothers work. The masculinity of the man today depends on other things. Keeping women in the home was their father's hang-up, unquote. And that's, uh, that's his summary of that article, Women at Work, Why the Boss is Unfair. Again, July 27th, 1960, 1968. Also, again, with the article privacy who needs it there's another one that says what they're wearing instead of clothes and then the big costume put on and it shows a woman again not wearing a bra wearing a vest with it completely open and there you go the degeneracy was right there in everybody's face the entire time the normalization of it clearly by a certain kind of author if you know what i mean among others and there you have it. So congratulations, uh, you know, the destruction of the nuclear family and healthy individuals has always been at play. That, that reminds me of a very famous clip, and I'm not a fan of Gavin McGinnis. Um, you know, he's a Zionist, but Gavin McGinnis very 
blatantly once when he was a contributor on Fox News. I believe he was on Sean Hannity, if memory serves. It could have been someone else's show, but he was on someone's show and he was sitting at a desk and there was a liberal woman sitting in between McGinnis and the host of the show. And the question again had to do with women in the workplace. And McGinnis, who has a wife who stays at home with their child, uh, he openly looked at this woman who was of childbearing age. She was well in her thirties, and uh, and and again, he he basically said, "Why aren't why are you know are you married?" And she said, "No." And he said, "Why not?" He said, "You're an attractive woman. You should be married. You should have children." I mean, do you have kids? And she says, "No." He says, "You would be happier with children." And she was appalled that McGinnis would say that. Just appalled. How do you know that? You know, and just started screaming and yelling. He says, because I know that. He goes, women in healthy marriages with children are happier than women who work all of the time. This is a fact. <laughs> it was great. She was speechless. Her jaw was on the floor. I mean, you can look up that clip on YouTube. It's incredible. And again, it's true because it's always been that case. That's always the case. It's uh, it's it's just part of our it's part of our cultural destruction, and it's the college environment that does it too. Social media influences, of course, and all of all of that degeneracy and all that nonsense. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, it was right here in the Saturday Evening Post in the 1960s. Thanks for nothing. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it. I'll catch you on Friday, and hopefully we're not all zombies by then. I'm just kidding. I'm sure we'll be fine, but time will tell. With that said, catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.